Welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley. I don't know what that was. That was, that was more Morgan Freeman. <laughs> that was kind of Morgan Freeman meets Sam Elliott meets Val Kilmer. <laughs> I'm guessing that by Wesley's introduction, you are guessing today's review is on... God, I am so excited about this. One of my yeah. favorite movies from all time... Tombstone, bro. Telegraphing your review, eh? Uh, there is no hiding my love for this film. I was excited to watch it. I'm excited <laughs> to review it. I went back and I watched the segment on Doc Holliday from the documentary Val after watching Tombstone. Like, <laughs> I am really into this one. This movie, available for probably about a week more by the time you hear this review on Amazon Prime, is a classic. So I'm going to start with my quiz. You ready? You got nothing on me. Go. How many Johns are in the cast of Tombstone? Yeah, You're talking about characters or actors? Characters. Well, there's Johnny Ringo, who is John Ringo on his tombstone. There's John Henry Holiday, also known as Doc. There's Texas Jack Vermillion, who could be a John because Jack is John, right? Yep. Then there's Turkey Creek Jack Johnson. Mm -hmm. Johnny Tyler. What's Jason Priestley's name? There's a lot of Johns. There's two more. Really? Uh, what's Behan's first name? Is it Behan? John Behan. It is. John Behan. He shakes his hand. Yeah. And then there's another one? Uh-huh. That's like clearly stated in the movie? I think so, yeah. I give up. I guess up. Oh, I got you. Wait, wait, wait. wait. No, no, no. I was, I was keeping it casual for the purposes of moving this review along. Now I'm going to stick. Uh, I mean, I have to say I'm pretty impressed you've gotten this far. Did you note the Jacks? Well, I did. I mean, I was intending for you to include the Jacks. Not Fred. Come on, Fred. Well, sure, Dad. Okay, I gave up. You sure? It, it can't be obvious, though. It's not like a major, but it's like some rando. He makes at least a couple appearances. Mayor John Clum. Oh, Mayor Clum and his wife. I don't remember. I wouldn't have gotten John. I don't think he's introduced. He's introduced as Mayor Clum. And then he comes in later and says, now hold on, Mayor. He already told you no. 
I don't know, credited as John Clum. Okay, but that's because he's a historical figure, as so many people. I, I mean, I don't think there's anyone. Tombstone, for all its sort of campiness and fantastical. Campiness? I mean, like, How dare yes, you? No, no, yes, absolutely. This is like Young Guns in that everyone is a historical figure, but it's also stylized and as much about the personalities of the participants, the actors, as it is about historical accuracy. Okay, so we know that Tombstone is the best, but in this review, we got to get to the bottom of why. Why is this movie so great? I mean, look, there are great historical epics, and Tombstone, no one would say that this one is fraught with authenticity. It's just not. And uh, Kevin Costner's Wyatt Earp was released six months after this, and despite it being much more heavy-handed and an attempt at being authentic and real, I guess, it only achieved maybe half the critical acclaim and certainly less box office. But Tombstone exists as a resurgence of the Western and maybe one of the most popular, most enduring Westerns of the 90s, but it has real company in that category, being that it was preceded by Dances with Wolves and the year prior by Unforgiven. That's a big deal. And so Tombstone has very big shoulders on which to stand, and yet it carves out its own little niche among them because it's cool. Dances with Wolves was a great movie. No one's going to be like, dude, it was so awesome and quotable. And while I feel that way about Unforgiven, this is just the younger, hipper Western for the 90s. What makes it hip? Is it because it's a dude bro movie? I think it's all about Val Kilmer as an audience favorite for this movie. He steals every scene he's in. And also the critics loved his portrayal. He's the outlaw without being an outlaw. Yeah, he's a contradiction in terms. He's the gentleman, doctor, playboy, gambler. One might call him a rogue. He's the Iron Man of his day. Gunslinger, lunger. Lunger has to do with his tuberculosis. Yep. And there's all kinds of stories about how they were really shooting for shooting, shooting for authenticity. They really wanted it to be like a serious Western. And Kevin Jarry, who wrote it and was on in the chair to direct it, was let go. And there was all kinds of turmoil on set. And then George Cosmatos was brought in, who had done a couple of movies, but by all accounts, and, and Val Kilmer corroborates this, Kurt Russell really took over. And according to Kurt Russell's own revelation a few years ago, he told George Cosmatos that he was going to direct this picture and that he would keep that secret until the director, until, you know, death released him from his vow or whatever. And Val Kilmer agrees that this movie is only possible because of Kurt Russell's direction. No kidding. And the direction is very intentional, very well crafted. So many moving parts. I mean, no scene with less than three characters. Yeah. And that was to his credit as well. There's something like 83 speaking roles. Jeez. And Kurt Russell pared down the script himself. He really was the Wyatt Earp of this movie, both literally and figuratively. Uh, he reworked the script, cut about 20 pages out of it, dispersed a lot of the scene work to a lot of the other characters. His primary character took a big hit, and Wyatt became a standout among a large ensemble cast. And so that is to his credit. He wasn't looking for spotlight, but he really took the reins, and he forcefully made it happen. That's pretty impressive. And yet in Val Kilmer's behind-the-scenes footage, he's jolly, he's joking, he's bespectacled. He <laughs> right. seems like he's having a great time. Yeah, we have real heavyweights in this movie, even if not all of them were household names at that point. But it seems like everybody was really excited and wanted to make this movie. It didn't seem like there was a lot of tension on the set, with the exception that the director was let go. 
but it seems like everybody follows the leader, right? How do you get a cast like this together? I don't think that it came together like, look, we're going to get the best and the brightest. I think that they lucked into maybe some really strong players, all of whom made names for themselves after the fact because of the fact that they can, you know, really sell it. I mean, I think the Cowboys cast gives the Earp and Friends cast a real run for its money. Yep. Some really brilliant character actor performances. Like even down to the scummiest, like Ike Clanton. He gives a great performance, Stephen Lang. Yeah. And uh, did you make the Stephen Lang connection? This is like Jeanette Goldstein. It's another Cameron connection. Wait a second. Yep. Ike Clanton is the general dude from Avatar? Colonel Quaritch. All yoked and shiny and scarred in Silver Fox. What? Yeah. And we've talked about the um, chameleonic Billy Bob Thornton. I mean, he's looking very healthy in this film. Well, by healthy, you mean robust and maybe even rotund. He's got he's a little chunkster in this movie. And Billy Bob Thornton is a slight man. And yeah. Yet, yeah, this is the chameleonic Gary Oldman thing that I think we touched on in Sling Blade, where Carl looks at once emaciated and kind of chunky around the middle. Maybe it's just like the vastly oversized clothes. Or something that he has to cinch with a little belt. But his performance shines through. Yeah. Or or Michael Rooker playing the good guy? Kind of. This is uh, JFK, his retread. Oh, yeah, where he makes the turn. Right. Except it's opposite. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And scruffy. <laughs> Wait, explain this for our listeners. So Michael Rooker's character, Broussard, in JFK makes a turn, and it's a little bit ambiguous. You're not exactly sure what's happening and in tombstone he goes from being a full-on cowboy who sits idly while ringo shoots the priest in the head to the uh wyatt earp and his immortals ally and also the immortals martyr in a way he is the the last straw that sets wyatt earp on his path of rampage right and he comes to his end and is pretty much unrecognizable well yeah he's all mangled i mean why was mcmasters alone or how did he get singled out well the last time we saw him was when he was escorting josephine marcus into the wagon after billy zane was killed and uh, i guess rode off with her and then was alone maybe coming back or something kelly thought maybe that the wagon had been taken as well and she didn't remember that part huh Speaking of Josephine Marcus, does she take that horse run side saddle? Look, if riding normal isn't ladylike, then I guess she's just not a lady. I was looking very closely, and I think that she's side saddle. I don't know if that's possible, but okay. She's like the cat in heat. Ew. Like bursting with femininity and sex appeal and like don't give a f Why is that like, gross, though? Why is that like she doesn't work? It doesn't work for me, man. She's kind of like the wild. She's like the feral version of Claire from Back to the Future 3. Oh, Clara. Clara. Yeah, Mary Steenburgen. I guess, yeah. I mean, she's, it, she's got a similar look. Anyway, <laughs> going down the list, we also have to give a shout out to Billy Zane. He's definitely wigged in this. Bewigged, right? I think so. With his Shakespearean curls and his pretty eyes and pretty face. What does he say? Prettiest man I've ever seen. Yep. All right. Uh, quote challenge. Impossible. This is a quote exchange challenge between Kurt Russell and Billy Bob Thornton upon their first meeting. <laughs> We're not even going to talk about the uh, cinematic merits of this movie. We're just going to like gush about it and quote it and stuff. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> All right. Uh, no, I, you're going to act it out for us. So so am I going to be supposed to do the voices? Yes. When he goes into the Oriental for the first time. 
So, goddamn it, Junior, how many times do I got to tell you to keep that goddamn cigar out of my face? Jesus Christ. It's like playing cards with my brother's kids or something. You nerve-wracking <laughs> sons of bitches. <laughs> and it says, something on your mind? <laughs> Why, it's like, just want to let you know you're sitting in my chair. Is that a fact? That's a fact. <laughs> well, for a man, don't run heels. You run your mouth kind of reckless, don't you? And don't go heels. I need to go heels to get a bulge on a tub like you. Is that a fact? That's a fact. Well, I'm real scared. <laughs> Damn right you're scared. I can see that in your eyes. Mr. I'm getting awful till I know he says. <laughs> and then he says, Listen, Mr. I'm getting awful tired of you. And then he smacks him. And he's, I'm getting awful tired of your gas. Now jerk that smoke wagon and go to work. No, he says, skin it. Skin that smoke wagon to see what happens. Listen, Mr. I'm getting awful tired of your gas. I'm getting tired of your gas. Now jerk that pistol and go to work. And smacks him again. I said, throw down, boy. And Tyler takes the hit. Oh, that's my favorite. I said, throw down, boy. You going to do something or just stand there and bleed? That's what I thought. Here, Milt. Souvenir. Hang it over the bar. All right, youngster, out you go. Is that enough? Oh, my God. You really do know that whole thing. Yeah. You don't think that's weird at all? <laughs> I'm sure it's weird. That's really weird. Why do you know all that? I don't know. I maintain that by slightly paraphrasing it and speeding it up, it doesn't make it quite as nerdy. It's just muscle memory. Like, if I were to do the accents and, like, the, the grunts when he gets smacked and stuff and the Kurt Russell inflection, I said, throw down, boy. That's nerdier, right? But you got some of the Kurt Russell inflection, even if it was kind of more casual. Can't help it. What a great character moment for Wyatt Earp. It's all this Wyatt Earp, Wyatt Earp, reputation preceding him kind of thing. And then you see him throw down and you're like, all right. I see it. Super powerful, right? And just fearless. Fearless, but not without personal values, principles. I don't think he would abuse the power. I mean, he does he really have the right to go in and smack the guy around for being a jerk? I mean, I guess the morality is in place. But also, he, he never really abuses that power. It's the personal values combined with the fact that none of these characters give a f*** about anything is what makes them appealing. Like, I'm very influenced right now because I'm reading the book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a F***. And everything about Tombstone was calling out to me, like, all of these characters have very specific things that they care about. Wyatt Earp cares about his family, giving his family a new start and capitalizing off of the opportunity that this new boomtown has to offer. The Doc Holliday character is focused on living life full tilt, and he prioritizes the few friends that he has in his life. Like, it's all about his friendship for Wyatt Earp. And then, similarly, you know, you go down the line, like, Virgil ha definitely has his principles and is guided by his conscience. Uh, Morgan is happy to be with his brothers and supporting them <laughs> and, like, tagging along and, you know... These guys, they're very specific about what they care about and everything else falls to the wayside. And I think it's and that makes them all lovable. Like even if you don't necessarily agree with what they prioritize in their lives. I mean, we impose a lot of morality on Westerns. We did it a lot in our review of Unforgiven. But Tombstone is a silver boom town. It's a town that sprang up out of nowhere, out of nothing. And it brings in both the higher class, the, the dandies and also the drovers and just the dregs. Everyone's sort of out for their own, and if there's a little bit of morality infused, that's just so they can sleep at night. But a whole lot of gray, 
in these characters, for sure. And they have their motivations, and at the very least, those motivations are made clear pretty much universally. We kind of know where everyone stands, even though not everyone is necessarily untarnished good or outright bad. I mean, we see the turn in McMaster's, and we see Doc, who is just shy of the law, even Wyatt Earp, after the OK Corral. And there's this young guns level of deputy, not deputy, questionable legalities. It was legal. It was a fair fight. We was legal. Sorry, I got to take you in front of Judge Spicer. Yeah, can you help me understand, like, what is within the bounds of the law and what isn't? Or is that the point? I don't really know. If Wyatt is like, well, just the same, but maybe you better swear me in before we go shoot a bunch of people at the OK Corral. Is that legal? Does somebody formally witness and time date stamp his deputization for such a factory? Do you just slap on a star and you're good to go? Uh, Behan was the county sheriff. Fred White was the town sheriff. And they quarreled over those legal matters and whose jurisdiction it was or whose responsibility it was to go out and stop Curly Bill, who's shooting up the town on an opium bender. I don't know. It seemed convenient. And it seems like you take up the appointment as Virgil did. And then suddenly you're the law and everybody's yelling at you and you're going to defend the law to its very letter. You know, damn right. They're breaking the law. That's a misdemeanor. You know, somebody's really going to get their head kicked in, you know. So when Virgil takes up the badge, who what is he? He's town sheriff after Fred White. And Morgan's his deputy. Yep. But he had no in real life. They had to flee following the Johnny Ringo stuff. When Fred White said the real law, only real law around here is the cowboys, I don't know that there wasn't truth to that because at some point historically some of the cowboys were deputized and it seemed like a justification on paper to do the things they did to evade the law. And also, I think maybe it's a McMaster's kind of recon report. He says they're all wearing badges. Right, exactly. The cowboys. And yeah, it's kind of like the mafia or organized crime in that they have legal fronts which will protect them from prosecution or something they can fall back on. But also Behan was in their pocket or whatever. Behan was right. really was closely tied. And, you know, there's after tonight, there'll be one man in charge of Tombstone. You'll be happy to know him is because he was in cahoots. He was conspiring to murder the Earps? Yep. Because he was jealous? Uh, I think it had something to do with Josephine. And yeah, he was a power-hungry guy, and he aligned himself with the most powerful people in town, which as an organization was the Cowboys. Right, and see, this is where those principles come in, right? Behan, his, he's not morally bankrupt, and he does want law and order, but he's but his primary purpose or angle is power. Yeah, Behan would never go heels, but he associates with people who do. He was more of a politician. But you mentioned the Johnny Ringo kerfuffle, so this is historical? Oh, yes. And there have been a lot of depictions, and all of these are historical figures, but they play loose, kind of loose and fast. Most of the depictions of the fight at the OK Corral, which is what I thought we were still talking about, are kind of butchered in movies. And this production went to real pains to try to show it as with as much historical accuracy as possible, down to the fact that they knew approximately how many shots were fired, how long it took. Like this whole battle was over in something like 32 seconds. Whoa. And so they really strived, strove, strived to make Tombstone, for all its fantastic nature, more historically accurate. As far as Doc Holliday and Johnny Ringo goes, John Ringo was found at the base of a tree with a bullet in his head. But it's unlikely, I think, that it was Doc Holliday who killed him. Why? There are some time discrepancies. This was like after the ride of Wyatt Earp and his immortals to take out the rest of the cowboys. 
there's no nothing, no real historical basis for substantiating Doc Holliday's responsibility for Ringo's death. Oh, man. Isn't that such a great moment when Wyatt Earp's kind of stressing out and he's like, I can't beat him, can I? And like a good friend who's going to speak the truth as hard as it may be, Doc's like, nope. I mean, maybe in a way without saying, I mean, Wyatt poses the question. And Doc at that point is planning his sickbeddedness, right? He's also going to work the badge out of Wyatt's hand into his own to justify the, the duel. Yeah, he's like plotting. Right, to get Ringo to fight or whatever. Maybe that was just a hopeful deterrent. Try to get Wyatt to see that. Or maybe it was just resignation to the idea that he knew that Wyatt just would never back down. I don't think Wyatt's fishing. Yeah, no. He's just working something out with a confidant who he knows is going to be true with him. Yep. And so what also Kurt Russell tried to do in reducing Wyatt's screen time, what he did preserve and what he did promote was the holiday wider partnership, their relationship, which I think could easily be characterized as a bromance. Kurt Russell had said in an interview that most of the other relationships, because there were movies, Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday or, or the vice versa, and uh, that partnership has been portrayed countless times, but Kurt Russell said always with some element of contention. There was something in there that didn't make them quite friends, and it was clearly established that they were friends, that Val Kilmer would go to his grave if necessary, defending Wyatt Earp as one of his only friends. And Wyatt Earp, despite Virgil and, and the misgivings of others, always looked out for Doc. Even in the smallest ways, like, don't sweat it, Morgan, that's just his way, defending Doc to be himself, to be who he was. And so that relationship was lasting, and Doc, knowing that he's probably on his way out, corralled his remaining strength and went and, because he probably knew he could take down Ringo with no problem, whereas Wyatt couldn't. What a great little showdown. Kelly was like, why are they so close to each other? Like if you're going to shoot, have a shootout, it's got to be Buster Scruggs style, right? We're at the far end of the avenue. <laughs> this is one of those moments that you can't ever get back. But were you surprised when Doc showed up, when he comes out of the shadow, when he's your Huckleberry? He was so dramatic. He was like Dracula emerging from the shadows. And you're supposed to feel <laughs> that fear that you can see, obviously, in Ringo's face. But everything about this movie is stylized and just cool, at least centered around Doc. I don't think that Kurt Russell was particularly chewy in this performance. He was forceful and authoritative, but he doesn't strike me as being imposing in the same way that Doc Holliday does. You can see the crazy in that dude's eyes. Yeah, Doc Holliday, don't give a f <laughs> Stop. <laughs> but he, you know, you talked about how the Doc Holliday performance is all in Val Kilmer's voice. And I definitely think that the voice makes the character. But his body, like how he carries his body, how he rides his horse, how he handles his cigarette. Like that's all really dialed in. Pretty robust for an ailing man. For really sick. He's pretty swarthy, one would say. Maybe not in his color but in his bearing. And yet he was kind of a dandy. I mean, he's a, you know, he was slight, I guess, in his way. And he moves. He's kind of lithe. <laughs> it's like he's all wound up. Like he's this tight rubber band ball that's ready to just snap. Okay, I get it. I can feel the sexual tension. <laughs> Val Kilmer, he's like a slug of river water or something. He's kind of dirty. But Val Kilmer really went in. I mean, not only the voice, but he was the fastest draw on set, practiced continually. You can see some behind-the-scenes stuff. He just sat around all day twirling guns and got to be a pretty good quick draw. Yeah, it's con he's convincing for sure. And the filmmakers, like, kind of meet it out. Like, you get the comical moment with the tin cup, 
and you know they're always talking about how fast he is like curly bill keeps johnny ringo from getting in a tangle with doc holiday a couple times prior to their their little showdown and i'm sure there's some movie magic in it but in the final showdown and the quick draw like he is lightning fast it looks so cool and he's got his little hand out there all ready all ready to spring and snap sweet soft hungarian devil <laughs> what is your favorite quote from tombstone Probably the one that I quote the most for some reason, and I don't know why, is Doc's introduction. Why, Ed Bailey, we cross? Those guns don't scare me. Nothing, gun ain't nothing but a skinny longer. Why, Ed? What an ugly thing to say. I abhor ugliness. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? You know, Ed, if I thought you weren't my friend, I just don't think I could bear it. Yeah, now we can be friends again. And then he stabs him. <laughs> and then he cleans his knife off on his vest. <laughs> That's just rude. He's really in. And so there's the 500. Must be a peach of a hand. And you can get the Southern in there, right? But then he gets super drunk and starts slurring. And Thomas Hayden Church walks up to him and is like, Camp Town races. Oh, Susanna. You know, Stephen's thinking Foster. And Doc's like, pardon? I have two guns, one for each of you. And he's like, really gone. And that's the, the other side of Doc Holliday. I love that he has all this beef with everybody. Like he's got beef with Thomas Hayden Church. They build up the rivalry between him and Johnny Ringo. There's so much, like you said, a lot of moving parts, so much going on. We haven't even scratched the surface. Yeah, we barely talked about Curly Bill. Who won? <laughs> and you know my gauge for Curly Bill. What? He's probably the eldest of the Cowboys. The most established. He's what you might call founder of the feast. But uh, Powers Booth, who's now dead, is the same age that I am now. His curly bill was, is the same age I am now. Like if you were a cowboy, you'd be the elder? Right. Who is now naturally passed away. When Tombstone does not feel like a classic movie, it feels like still like a contemporary movie to me. So Powers Booth is gone. Bill Paxson is gone. Yep. Sam Elliott looks exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, do you feel like we did this movie justice? Not at all. There's so much. Was it news to you when you found out in Val, the documentary, that Doc Holliday was laying on a bed of ice in the final scene between Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp? That was news to me, yes. That's something that apparently only Val would reveal. To get the real feel that death is coming for him. It wasn't bluster, but for all his actiness, like he was a rich character and rounded because he could play emotional and delicate as much as he could cold-blooded monster killer guy. He cried a lot in that scene and, and examined his toes and stuff. It's a sad, it's a really sad scene. I mean, it's a love scene between two men who are who are really friends. But what he's asking, what Doc Holliday is asking of Wyatt Earp is, it's sad and yet freeing. Like he's he's asking him to do something so counterintuitive. If you, if you love me, leave me because... I love you and want you to live your life. It's really powerful. Yeah, he would just keep coming back. And he was tied enough. You keep coming here. And I decided I didn't want you to come back here a minute. And he's just going to oh. keep sticking around. And so maybe on the same token, Doc was holding on. And the perp for the purposes of this movie was holding on because he cared for Wyatt and wanted to see Wyatt. And once he, once Wyatt goes out of love and respect for him, then he can let go and die. So on that bittersweet note... The scene that rounds out this otherwise really cool, really hot action movie. 
What is your review on Tombstone? I think that Tombstone exists outside of the historical epic, but it definitely has its place in contemporary Westerns. If there's anything that I want to say about Tombstone, it's that you should see it. Despite its flaws, and it does have a number, it's still a totally movie, and that it is more historically accurate than you think. There are some things that need to be streamlined, some dates that need to be fudged a little bit, but the incredible stuff is this stuff actually happened. Wyatt Earp, by several accounts, charged out without heed to his personal safety across a stream to shoot Bill up close, Curly Bill with a shotgun, while people were shooting at him. All that stuff happened. Wyatt Earp apparently didn't move during the gunfight at the OK Corral. He was the one who was so confident he planted his feet and shot a bunch of people, and everyone got hit but him and Doc. The stuff that becomes legend 100-plus years on. And Tombstone was really striving to achieve that legend, and in doing so, found its place in classic westerns and in movie history. They call it the Wild West for a reason, but it doesn't mean that it was all lawless or that people didn't have the same kind of values or it seems that we that we do now i mean all of these characters are just so badass and so human and they got great lines they got great dialogue I'm just looking at the pictures and getting all excited for all the loss and and tortured souls in this movie tombstone is fun it's really fun just scratching the surface on tombstone here that's a totally from wes and a good of course from iris and this is just another step in my re-evaluation. <laughs> um, we hope you enjoyed our review on Tombstone and on this week's primary episode, Val. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An Electric Cast production. See you there. Electric Cast. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Electric Act.